This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by Blue Land. Did you know that uh, about 5 billion, billion? That's a de- I checked that because that's a lot. Plastic hand soap and cleaning bottles are thrown away every year. And if that's not bad enough, most cleaning formulas are 90% water, which is heavy. We're shipping around all this water using fuel when we don't have to. Every year, Americans throw away 25% more trash from Thanksgiving to New Year. This year, maybe turn the New Year's resolution into action that makes a difference by switching to Blue Land. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and the planet with the same powerful clean you're used to. It's a simple idea. They have refillable cleaning products. They have a nice design. I have them in my home. It looks nice on your counter. You fill the reusable bottles with water, drop in the Blue Land tablets, wait for them to dissolve, and you never have to grab bulky, heavy cleaning supplies on your grocery run ever again. And refills, because they're small and you don't have to ship a bunch of water across the country, starts at just $2.25. You can even set up a subscription or buy in bulk for additional savings. From cleaning sprays to hand soap, toilet bowl cleaner, and laundry tablets, Laundry tablets, everybody, you know what I mean. All Blue Land products are made with clean ingredients that you can feel good about. Blue Land is trusted in over a million homes, including, yeah, mine. Blue Land has a special offer for listeners right now. You can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss it. Blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. Again, blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. Okay. Exciting thing. On December 9th and 10th in Seattle, Washington, we're going to be holding the first PodCon, a convention and conference of podcasters and people who love podcasts. We're doing it in partnership with Joseph Fink and Jeffrey Craner from Welcome to Night Vale and Alice Isn't Dead and the McElroy brothers of lots of different podcasts. John and I will be there doing a bunch of stuff, including a live Dear Hank and John. But in order to know the full extent of what we can afford to do, we're launching it with an Indiegogo crowdfunding campaign. You can find that right now at podcon.com. There are several different ticket levels and also a bunch of perks for people who can't attend, including an audio collection of absolutely everything that happens at the event. PodCon for people who love podcasts coming to Seattle in December. I hope we will hear you there and also see you there. And now, on with the pod. Hello, and welcome to Dear Hank and John. Nor is that for to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a comedy podcast about death, where two brothers give you advice that is dubious, uh, answer your questions, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. I'm Hank. This is John. How are you, John? I'm all right. Uh, you know, I... Hank, I have to tell you the honest truth, which is that there is a little bit of me that wishes that in addition to having like opted out of Twitter, I could just not have my daily thoughts consumed so much by certain uh, political Mm. leaders in the United States. But uh, this is the reality that I'm living in right now. And I'm just trying to make a go of it here at Grover Cleveland High School. Do you get that reference? I don't. I do not. Oh my god, it's to the best movie ever. I can't believe you've never seen Rushmore. I have seen it, I think! Oh my god. Even the idea that you don't know whether you've seen Rushmore is deeply upsetting to me. That's honestly worse than if you just hadn't seen it. I, I, I accept that, that that is the case. Do you, know, you want to know what's happening in my life, John? I do, very much. A young man who lives in my home, he's six months old, Mm -hmm. has learned how to grab my glasses and throw them across the room. Oh yeah, So that's, uh, yeah. He, uh, he'll put them anywhere uh, in his mouth. Uh, if there's poop nearby, he'll try to get it in that. And um, so I basically I'm getting ready for uh, needing multiple pairs of glasses. This podcast, unfortunately, is not brought to you by Warby Parker, but there may be some, uh, some dealings with them in the future. And by dealings, I mean I'm going to maybe buy some glasses from them. Uh, I don't know that like having 17 pairs of backup glasses is the best strategy. I think you just got to keep your face out of your kid's maw. That's impossible. He is too cute for that. He he has uh-huh. it's a it's a maw that needs a face in it. <laughs> All right. I don't have any uh 
I don't have any short poems for today because I want to leave plenty of time at the end from the for the incredibly exciting news from AFC Wimbledon. So let's just jump right in uh, to questions from our listeners, Hank. All right. This one is from Amanda who asks, Dear Hank and John, it's D-E-A-H. So she wanted me to say it that way and I did. Um, I'm currently a private tutor in elementary age kids, and some of my students don't even have grammar instruction, but those who do tend to struggle with it. Many ask why they need to know it. I tell them that it is important to understand how English works as a language because it will make their reading and writing skills better, but honestly, I'm mostly just trying to get them focused on their work. Uh, My question is this. I'm skipping some stuff. How does technology change what grammar, and for that matter, spelling and writing instruction look like in schools, and how do I convince my students that it's important? Yours, Amanda. I think that grammar is important because what we're trying to do when we communicate with each other is communicate clearly, and technology can help with that, but it can't construct a sentence for you yet. Um... There's something about a really well-constructed, clear, concise, uh, transparent sentence that is just absolutely magical and (laughs) makes you want to do whatever the sentence tells you to do. And that, to me, is the secret of language. If In this world, if you can write a good email, you can get a lot of things done. I definitely think that, yes, I think that that is 100%. And I think that when I'm looking to hire someone, I'm looking at writing skills, even when the job is not... uh, involve a lot of writing like when I'm reading a cover letter like I'm looking at that and I know that like that is important but I don't know that it's necessary for me to know how like to be able to diagram a sentence for me to be able to write a good one I don't know that it's necessary for you to be able to diagram a sentence, but you do need to understand what different parts of sentences do and how they do it and why they do it. And until that stuff is just kind of like deeply ingrained and it is second nature, you do have to think about Mm -hmm. it. You know, like I was talking with Henry yesterday about verbs and I was like, so what is a verb, Henry? And he said, a verb is something you can do. And I thought that was an interesting idea. But then I was like, all right, so what's the verb in the sentence, Henry is awesome? And he was like, well, I don't know. And understanding like <laughs> what is, what is, does as a verb and what it doesn't do, I think is actually kind of important. Yeah. Uh, I, I agree that, look, when I was an elementary school student, I thought that grammar was the stupidest thing in the world, second only to algebra. Uh, but... I I use it now, and I think a lot about it now, and not only because I I write books, but also because I write emails and love letters and lots of other things. Yeah, and and you got to know where that that comma goes, and if you understand where the clause is, then that really helps with where that comma goes. All right, Hank, I can't believe you didn't ask the following question first, because it is obviously (laughs) the most critical question we received this week. It's from Alicia, or Alicia. Or Alicia. I don't know how to pronounce your name. I apologize. I'm just going to call you Ryan. Dear Green Brothers, I was born on an airplane, and before you ask, no, (laughs) not a commercial airplane, but rather a a small passenger plane, specifically a Piper Seneca 3. This is the only sentence in the email, Hank, that specifically... Uh, seeks to explain the circumstances in which this birth happened, which I find fascinating. Uh, I'm looking at pictures of Piper Seneca 3s, John, and I got to tell you, there's not a lot of room to have a baby on there. Uh, Okay, the other thing about a Piper Seneca 3, Hank, that really struck me uh, is that it doesn't have that big of a range. Like, it's not like you can get in a Piper Seneca 3 and fly around for five hours. So, like, (laughs) when... When the person who birthed you got on that plane, were they already in labor? Like, <laughs> was that the goal? Was uh, it an incre- or was it an incredibly short labor? Or alternately, like, were they already in labor and they were trying to like get somewhere? Like maybe, for instance, a hospital where uh, you could have had a safer delivery, but in the end, it all went down in the Piper Seneca Three, like. The Piper Seneca 3, it just, it, it's a very, very small plane. 
Yeah, so the, so I've looked up the, the the performance specs for the Piper Seneca three. Uh, yeah. It has a, a range of about a thousand miles and a and a cruise speed of around two hundred and sixteen miles per hour. So we're talking about tops. You could be in that plane for five hours before it had to land. So you're and and if you're coming, so you're never going to be more than two and a half hours from an airport. So if you if you you're your mother went into right. labor right in the worst possible time. Right. You would have had like in, in like you turn around and you could go back or you could go all the way to the final destination. It happened fast. This was a fast and this happens sometimes. Sometimes you're like, oh, my water broke. And then you're like, ah, there's a baby head coming out of me. Like it's unusual and it's a good thing usually when it happens. Uh, but usually you're not on an airplane at the time. So we've, I think we've gotten to, for the most part, to the bottom of it. It was a quick labor. It was a quick labor. But I do have a follow up question, which is that this plane only seats five passengers. Um if five, you, five, <laughs> and, and but but it landed with six. I, I was gonna say, like, I'm such a. I, I, I feel very strongly about plane safety, as you know, Hank, and I feel very strongly that you should follow by the rules of plane safety, even if those rules don't necessarily make sense. And I would be freaking out if we started with five passengers and for the last hour we had we had six because I would be like, that is that is the Piper Seneca three is not. It is not designed for this, sixth, <laughs> this new creature. I did not sign on for a yeah. flight with this thing. All right. Anyway, for a few years now, I've been trying to find the plane that I was born on, as it is one of my life goals. I haven't come very close <laughs> until about two months ago when I received more information about it. The info I got was the plane's tag number, which you can search up online and you can find out where it is now. Here's my problem. The tag number I got says the plane crashed a year before I was born. Oh. Creepy. Which, which she then dismisses immediately by saying, obviously that's not possible, seeing as I was born on it. But or wait, wait, I mean, or is it? Unless. <laughs> Unless it, it's totally possible and you're living in an alternate timeline and things just got really weird. Or 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 sometimes plane cr- planes crash and then they fix them. Sometimes it's not like a, some, like it's like a like it's just like a car crash. Sometimes you can sometimes it can be OK. Yeah, I, one of my other rules uh, when it comes to plane safety is that I, I do not get on previously crashed planes. So, John, let me tell you a quick story. I know we're still in the middle of this question, but when I was in Haiti, I got on an airplane. It was about mm-hmm. the size of a Piper Seneca 6 it, it, or, or 3. It might even have been one, and mm-hmm. uh, but I think smaller even. And I got in the plane, and I was like, hey, what's up, pilot man? And I was like sitting in the passenger seat because like that's how small this thing was. Um, mm-hmm. So just doing my best to not touch anything because, like, I had a steering wheel in front of me. Terrifying. Yeah. And uh, and I, I was, like, bantering with the pilot. And I was like, so how long have you been doing this? And he was like, you know, decades. And I was like, and, if, and obviously, like, never crashed. So I shouldn't worry about anything. And he was like, actually. And I was like, no, don't say actually. Don't do that. And he had his plane had crashed, like, two weeks ago. And he had that knocked plane? out. Not that plane, but the plane mm. that he was flying, and it, and like he like showed me the missing teeth in his mouth that had oh been knocked God. out in the plane crash that he had recently been in, and I oh was God. like, well, was it a stormy day? Tell me all the reasons why that day is different from this one. <laughs> like all of the and oh, it was a fine. It was turned out to be a very beautiful and and comfortable flight that I did not puke on at all. I'm anyway. looking at the interior of a Pipa Seneca 3, and yeah. Hank, let me tell you, I would not want to give birth <laughs> inside of this aircraft. <laughs> oh, man, we're going to have to put up a bunch of pictures on the Patreon, aren't we? <laughs> on the other hand, uh, it is, it's a nice plane. Now, I personally do not believe in flying uh, uh, twin t- uh, planes with two propellers. It's just, it's not in my, uh, it's not mm-hmm, one of my, mm-hmm. it's just not an, I don't, I actually, I don't even want to talk about this anymore. Let's move on. Okay. Upon more searching, I may have possibly found my plane, but it is now owned by an elderly man, and I found him not via the airplane tag number search, but through creepy Googling. Should I contact <laughs> this man and ask him about the plane and explain how I got his phone number, or is that too weird? Just trying to find my plane, Alicia. First off, Alicia, as far as I can tell, the one thing that we know for sure in this story is that this is not your plane. 
Well, that's definitely the case. It is an old man's plane. Uh, it's it's either an old man's plane or it is a plane that's in like lost in the mountains of Alaska. That you were born uh, yeah. on six months after it was lost. I suspect that it is the old man's plane, and I am not an old man myself, he said, hopefully. I don't know how old this elderly man is. You didn't explain. <laughs> it's possible that you're 16 and you think 39 is elderly. But if I were the owner of a Piper Seneca 3, which is one of the things I hope most in life never to become, uh, I would be absolutely delighted if a child who was born on my uh, aircraft wanted to come and see the plane on which she was born. But if you do that, I have one piece of advice, which is to bring a portable handheld black light so you can maybe find some amniotic fluid and see exactly the spot where you came out. <sighs> I mean, we were having so much fun, and then you made it really gross. <laughs> I think that'd be fun. I think it'd be really interesting. No, it is. Maybe I mean, you know, it, don't life show is a miracle. The, maybe don't show the elderly man what you find. Here's I I, I don't think I, I, I think the elderly man is going to be psyched about this nine ninety nine times out of 100. And then like the one percent of the time, it's just like a crotchety old person who was going to be miserable about whatever you mentioned to them. I wouldn't necessarily bring up the creepy Googling part. I would just be like, hey, you know, I, I, I noticed you have my plane. And uh, then if they ask, you can just be like, oh, I was just searching on the Internet. Old people don't really know what the Internet yeah, is, so right, you don't have yeah. to worry about that. Totally. Yeah, it's not going to know how creepy it was. You'd be like, ah, it's the Internet. I just looked you up on, uh, on and then make up a name of a website, uh, like uh, Cobular. <laughs> That's a pretty good name for a website. Is that is Cobular.com taken? If Let's not, it could, be, Cobular. it could be home for our new Google, our, our new search business. Cobular.com uh, is available, Hank. C-O-B-U-L-A-R.com. <laughs> Cobular.com. The hot new website from the Green Brothers. It's where you can find all of your lost planes. Cobular.com is a great idea for, I mean, that, that sounds like a proper uh, made up company. Uh, well, I'm, I'm pleased. What does copular mean in Spanish? Must, must be nothing or else it would be taken. What about copular? I have a guess at what copular means in Spanish. Uh, I'm going to look it up. It's copulate. It's to copulate. <laughs> okay, well, we're not doing... This is copular, which is a completely different company <laughs> and is a made-up word. Like, like uh, you know, Uber. Right. <laughs> Or Lyft with a Y. It's just a made-up company name, Cobular. It's our new, it's our exciting new um, it's our exciting new uh, e-commerce yep. project that we can't tell you about. Just getting it redirects to dftba.com. Boom. Uh, this this question comes from Drew, who asks, "Dear Hank and John, this June I'm marrying the love of my life. However, we're having difficulty finding great items for our registry. What are some amazing items you wish you had on your registry when you got married? Also, why does DFTBA not have a registry option? Thanks for bringing up our e-commerce systems. Uh, and by DFTBA, I'm sure you mean cobular.com. Vows and cows, Drew. Um, uh, Hank, what do, you, what do you like? Of the things that you got for your wedding... Are there any of them that when you look at them, you think about the person who got you that fondly? Because that's what you really want. Like, you want something that it's not just, like, useful. It also connects you to somebody you love. John, you're, you're, reaching, you're reaching terrifyingly close to a thing about me that I'm not super proud of, which is that okay. I don't really think about things enough for after, you know, a, a 10 years of marriage— to mm. have any connection to any of the items that I was given for my registry, including the ones that you purchased for me. Oh, I have no idea what I got you. Don't feel weird about that. But um, do you remember, like, uh, are there things that you got for your wedding that have proven useful to you? Or do you not even know what you got at your wedding versus, like, what you just bought at Target six months later? I know that I got my silverware and my plates for my wedding. And we do yeah. use those all the time. I don't know who bought them, but I am glad to have them and they've lasted us a long time. Yeah. Things have broken, but not so much that we can't, that like we don't have like a good and full set. Um, and they were purchased at Macy's and we had a, a, a registry at Macy's. And I believe that's where our knives came from as well. I will say a very good knife 
is something that uh, something that I didn't get for a long time, including uh, for my registry, and I wish I had gotten on my registry. Uh, yes, my most used appliance in the house is my Soda Stream, which turns regular water into carbonated water, so they don't have to yep. buy carbonated water. And I would don't suggest- tell that to don't tell that to our future sponsors, Lacroix. Uh, yes, well, you get the excellent pamplemousse flavoring. If you uh, you can't get that without Lacroix. Okay. And that's what that's their new tagline. It, if you have a soda stream, you're never gonna get Pomplamoose without Lacroix. And uh, brought to you by Lacroix, everyone. It's surprising to me that you don't work in advertising, but uh, okay. So I mean, Hank's- I do. I do work in advertising. I just do it badly. <laughs> Hank, uh, I agree. Uh, the, the not your like silver silverware. If you're a fancy person with actual silver, mm, like yeah, uh, no. that that. In my experience, you never end up using. But your everyday cutlery, your everyday plates, if you don't own that stuff already, you can register for that stuff. People will be happy to get it for you, probably, Mm -hmm. hopefully. Uh, If you do own that stuff, then you might be in a situation where you don't actually need to register for that much stuff, in which case maybe you could just uh, raise money for your honeymoon if you want to go on a nice honeymoon. Or uh, raise money for a charity that you care a lot about, like have people donate, uh, you know, uh, like farm animals through uh, Heifer International or something like that. I, I, I've known a lot of people who do that, and I think that's really cool. The gift that I received, Hank, that has meant the most to me through the years. Mm-hmm. So Sarah's got an uncle, Uncle Bax, Uncle Baxter. And Baxter's an amazing guy. And we received uh, these monog... We didn't register for them. We just received them one day. These monogrammed highball glasses that, you know, you Ooh, drink like uh, yeah. mixed drinks out of. And I was never a person who like, I, I, I never even knew what a highball glass was. You know, like when I wanted to make a mixed drink, I drank it out of my Alvin and the Chipmunks glass from <laughs> 1986, just like a regular American, you know. But when I got these monogrammed highball glasses that have like our shared initials S and JG on them. And by the way, I should add that Uncle Bax did not get us like four monogrammed highball glasses or eight he got us like 40 and i'm not exaggerating uh in fact i've broken a lot of them over the years and the great thing is that there's this like box that essentially has an infinite supply (laughs) in our basement there is a box with an infinite supply of monogrammed highball glasses and every time i drink a glass of scotch or something i'm like man uncle bax he knew the person i was going to become before i did (laughs) i like the idea of an infinite supply of something like like something that might not and you're just like look you never have to worry about this again you're just right. you like you could you could break one of these every day like just like like thor your drink every time i'll have another and then well you uh, don't want to thor your drink every time i mean we would yes. run out of them if we did that but yes i i understand you're you're correct in theory um i you know what occurred to me is uh, what like what if i just what if i did what if i just registered for stuff on amazon pantry like paper towels and and baked beans like the things that I really need. <laughs> no, because the whole idea of the wedding registry is that it's stuff that lasts, like stuff that you buy once in your life. Anyway, that's my understanding of it. Like, and that's, I, gu- I, I, I really like that. Although I have you know, to say, we just got we just got rid of our plates that we've had for ten years because I had to photograph my food every day for one hundred days, and by like day ninety eight, Sarah was like, "We're getting new plates," and I was like, <laughs> "Why?" And she was like, "Our plates are horrible," uh, wow. and they they were they were kind of horrible, so. We've got all new plates. Hank, I've got a new uh, question for you. Okay. It comes from Sam. He writes, Dear John and Hank, what are your thoughts on the word content in reference to internet video? I've heard a lot of people dislike it, but I'm not totally sure why. Is it because it commercializes art? Are art and content different? Jenga, Sam. What a great (laughs) sign-off. Is Jenga something you say while playing Jenga? Like every time you put the thing on the top, you're like, Jenga, like Uno or something? Or is that just a... Uh, I'm not totally sure. It's been a while. I gotta confess, Hank. It's it's been some time since I played Jenga, and it's been even longer since I played Jenga by the official Jenga rules. Jenga is a really great made up word, like like cobular. It's 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 not as good as cobular. Maybe cobular will be our version of Jenga, <laughs> but it's made out of corn. Oh, that's pretty good. It's not great, but it's <laughs> headed in the right direction. Maybe Cobular will just be a place where we sell high-quality sweet corn year-round. Yeah, it's like Corn of the Month Club. Cobular. The Corn of the Month Club at Cobular.com. 
Oh, you're gonna get corn from every country in the world. You're gonna get artisanal heirloom corns. I mean, and it's gonna be so sustainable. It's gonna be so sustainably farmed. And then the only part of it is that's not sustainable is the part where, <laughs> where we, we put like, it on a plane. Air freight it to you. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah. ship it to you overnight in uh, totally unsustainable packaging. Yeah, yeah. But this, the this was, farming was, part yeah, will the, be completely yeah. organic. It was in Kazakhstan. It was organically, very sustainably farmed in Kazakhstan. And then we put it on a plane and flew it to America. Uh, then we but, put it on another plane and flew it to your house. That's uh, <laughs> Oh my uh, God, Cobbler.com, home of your corn of the month. Hank, finally, we have a business that's going to not lose money. Sorry, what was the question? <laughs> I don't remember. Oh, content. Yeah. I don't know. Like, the, so I, I just think that it's a, it's a commodification, which people don't like to have their work commoditized, which is something that we are finding out more and more. When I you think it's commodified. Commodi yeah, sure. I believe you. When you take something and you're like, this was once something that you worked really hard on, and now it's like, now put it, put it in a box with a thousand other that look exactly the same. You're like, oh, I guess I'm not that important. Like, I'm, I, I'm just, I'm just like a, a cog in this machine, and that is kind of what content sounds like. And you hear about content farms, where people sort of just churn out words that can then be advertised against for the lowest price possible, so that, um, so that, so that, you know, we can try and keep this economy going uh, on the internet, which is a, a hard place to make an economy work. Uh, but it is content. It, I just think that it's kind of become, come to mean a slightly different thing, and, and that can give people a bad feeling. I don't mind it, though. Yeah, my feeling is that, well, I always think about, whenever I think about the word content, I try to hear it for the first time, and if I were hearing it for the first time, I would be like, oh my god, barf. Because I remember <laughs> when I first started dating Sarah, I knew nothing about contemporary art. I you know, like read a couple of books to try to look like I wasn't an idiot when I was hanging out with Sarah because she worked in an art gallery and all of her friends were, a lot of her friends were art people. And like, I knew nothing of that world. It was totally foreign to me. And when I would hear them talk, um, I noticed that when they were talking about like uh, an individual work of art, they would always say this piece and I would just be like, mm -hmm. well, that's dumb. Why don't mm -hmm. you just say like this artwork or this thing or this work of art? Why is it always this piece? And then when they were talking about like an art, like a group of pieces, they would say like um, uh, this artist's work. Mm -hmm. And I would just be like, oh, come on. Like the distinction between work and piece is so annoying and weird and gross and particular. And like it sort of exists to create a group of people that are inside and a group of people that are outside. And uh, yeah, so I I totally get it because when I hear the word content for the first time, or if I can sound, if, if I can like put myself in the mindset of hearing it for the first time, I would be like ooh. But now I'm so used to saying it, uh, you know, that we make like content online. Hank, what are you? What no? What what is that noise in the background? I don't know. I think it's just on the phone. I don't think that it's on the the recording. It so sounds like you're shuffling worry. cards in my ear. Yeah, I hear it too. I don't know what. Okay. It is. Yeah. Uh, are you shuffling cards? Nope, I'm just sitting here. Because I'm trying to, like, I, I, I'm i wondering, are you playing with me right now? Are you playing a game with me? <laughs> Do you think I'm just f***ing with you? you I think, think you might like... be just f***ing with me. Is this like, in a, is this like the thing where uh, to f*** with her, Alicia's parents uh, made up a tag number of a crashed plane and said that that's where she was born? <laughs> I don't think so, John. <laughs> I hear we got to keep that, Nick. So you're gonna have to do some. You're gonna have to do some. You're gonna have to do some bleeping. Okay. I don't know what it is. Uh, I'm. I, you know what? I'm gonna try not to call what I make content anymore. I'm just gonna call it. Well, like of the of the things of the lingo of my industry, that is not the one that bothers me so much. Like I hate influencers so much more. Yeah. And I hate industry, actually. I really hate, like, <laughs> my industry. Like, what you just mean, like, you're f the little pond in which, like, you think that you are a big fish because the pond is so incredibly little. <laughs> Eat it, boy. Um, I, I, I also, like, there was a while when people were using the phrase web lebrity, and I was just like, okay, I'm going to leave and never come back. <laughs> If that's I don't all like right web liberty, but I love celebrity. <laughs> I mean, I'm the I am 
a internet sensation so celebrity. I mean, just the idea. Like, so what do you do for a living? Well, I'm a celebrity. <laughs> I'm sorry. Did you say that you're a celebrity? Yes. No, yes. I did not. Unfortunately, I would like to be a celebrity when I grow up, but right now I'm just a celebrity. <laughs> I'm dead. You killed me. <laughs> Today's podcast is brought to you by celebrities. Celebrities, just just trying to harvest some content in this sweet, sweet industry. <laughs> this podcast is also brought to you by the Piper Seneca 3. With a range of 1,000 miles and a cruising speed of 216 miles per hour, it is possible to go into labor and also have a baby before you land. <laughs> And today's podcast is also brought to you by Cobular.com. Cobular.com, your number one source for the <laughs> Corn of the Month Club. And finally, this podcast is brought to you by an infinite supply of highball glasses. An infinite supply of highball glasses supplied by Uncle Bax. Oh, man. have you, You've met my Uncle Bax, haven't you? I think it's possible. Yeah, he's great. Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius, because there will be a world without us. All right. Uh, Hank, let's get to a couple more questions. Uh, geez, Louise, you really got me going there. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll, never get, I'll never get off of celebrity. I, I, I feel like we have hit on something very special. So, I, this, by the way, I have to, I, just really quickly, I have to say, I did not coin the word celebrity, oh, and I don't it. want to be credited with it. Oh, I wish shoot. that I were that genius. But um, I, don't know, I don't know where it came from. I don't know how it came to me, but I know for a fact that I did not think of it. I am not nearly uh, clever enough to think of celebrity. So just to be clear about that. All right, Hank, yes. I want to move on to an extremely serious question because okay. we've had enough jokey-jokey questions. Uh-oh, okay. Okay, ready? Yes. All right, Hank, this question comes from Maggie, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I'm 25 and I need dating advice, and who else do I turn to but two married men in their late 30s? <laughs> late 30s? I'm 37. Oh, gosh. Yeah, you're in your late 30s, buddy. I mean, the <laughs> issue, actually, the surprise to me in that, in that question was not that I'm in my late 30s, but that I have a younger brother in his late 30s. <laughs> I feel no alarm whatsoever at being in my own late 30s, but the thought that you're in your late 30s yeah. is upsetting to me. I've gone on a few dates with this guy I met online. I guess that's how people meet now. And mm -hmm. we've had a lot of fun, and I like him, and I think he likes me. Uh, and But he's super fit, and I'm oh. not. Ooh. Like, he has a six-pack. Who even has a six-pack? That's know. not even real. Right? I agree. It's... <laughs> <laughs> Take it from a guy who just exercised for 100 days in a row. It is not even real. <laughs> he has uh, a six-pack, and I eat tacos, like, all the time. <laughs> I, I mean, Maggie... I hope that those things aren't exclusive. <laughs> I know, I know. I, I, also, I hope she's exaggerating slightly. I mean, if she's eating tacos, like, all the time, that is some a bit of a, a concern. That's like, a lot of tacos. Well, you want to you want to make sure you get a balanced diet. Like sometimes you got to have a burrito. I generally feel good about myself and my body, but this has caused me to develop a complex of sorts. Do you have any advice to help me get over myself and just have fun dating? Hopefully not forever alone, Maggie. Maggie, <laughs> judging from your email, I think the reason that you're getting along well with this dude is that you're incredibly charming and funny. 
and yeah. you sh- and you should own that, and that's awesome. I I have very rarely been more impressed by an email. <laughs> we get a lot of them too. Uh, I yeah I. Uh, uh, it's interesting to to think that like um, that being fit might be a detriment to some relationships. Like if you're too hot, people are going to be like, "This isn't going to work out." I'm sorry. You're there's clearly something that's there's a there's a difference here, and I'm I'm out. I'm a taco fan, so I'm just going to go. Also, Hank, I, I mean, I I am totally coming at this question from the perspective of. Uh, a, a guy and uh-huh. also like an old guy who's been married for a long time. But like yeah. it, it, this, the question presupposes that there's only one kind of hot. Yeah. Uh, or that there's only like one sort of attractive. And like, uh-huh. that's just not true. Like yeah. there's all kinds of different uh, attractives and all for, and for different people, you know? Yep. And, and so like, I think you kind of got to let go of it. I understand. Like, I think probably the um, if you're having like, I I think it comes from the outside social order, right? Like the social order is so specific about what constitutes hot. And oh, my God, six packs. They're so rare and hot. And wow, a six pack. But like, you know, not everybody likes six packs, hopefully. (laughs) Not everyone requires six packs, at least. (laughs) <laughs> that's that's definitely that's definitely clear and true and for sure. Yeah, we can say with we, we can say with certainty that not everybody sees a six pack as a prerequisite. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I think I I think this is a that is an interesting question, and I'm glad that we've answered. And I feel like Maggie, don't don't let it get in don't let it get in the way. Don't let that wall of abs interfere with this uh, productive relationship that you're having with with a nice young man. This question comes from Doug, who asks, Dear Hank and John, my six-year-old told me that he wants to have a dude's day, and I'm excited that he wants to have a a father-son day, but the problem is that we seem to have different ideas about what exactly we should do on a dude's day. My idea is to spend the afternoon teaching him how to change the oil on my Jeep. We can bond while I teach him an important skill that my father taught me. Like, when you were six? Yeah, not when you were six, man. His idea is to spend a day playing games and eating pizza in the company of a giant rodent. What should we do? Come on, man. Doug. Come on. Yeah, Doug. I mean, here, yeah, the answer, of course, is that you got to change that that oil. I mean, that's uh, (laughs) that's a no-brainer. Yeah. Chuck E. Cheese is a, uh, it is a contaminant nightmare. I mean, it is... (laughs) You want to talk about places that I don't want to see a black light applied to. Uh, <laughs> just a, you, uh, just the, you turn, the, you turn yeah. the black light on at a Chuck E. Cheese and you're at a rave. Yeah, patient zero for every plague is Chuck E. Cheese. Like that animal. Yeah, I mean, so Doug, I get it, man. Like I, I, I have to take my kids to Chuck E. Cheese a lot. And um, like the people who work at Chuck E. Cheese are really nice and... I think they have a hard job, and so I don't want to say anything bad about Chuck E. Cheese, but it's, I mean, the, like, the um, the number of stimulants, the number of, like, uh, uh, just things that are happening at Chuck E. Cheese per minute. I was actually recently at Chuck E. Cheese, Hank, and I, you know what I was thinking? I was thinking there is absolutely no analog for this in the natural world. Like before, <laughs> yeah. like 70 or 80 years ago, no human being had ever experienced what I'm experiencing right now. It's like kind of like a casino because there's a lot of noises happening. Um, the carpet is is dirty and very colorful. And then there's like a lot of just like sort of like blank faced people staring into games, hitting buttons over and over again, except instead of it being uh, gamblers, it's children. (laughs) Um, And they're just trying to they're just trying to win enough tickets to get, you know, some sweet tarts. And I, I was trying to think like maybe like has did a human being before like about 1910 ever experience anything like being inside of a Chuck E. Cheese ever. And maybe like once somebody was swimming and like a a huge number of swordfish swam around them and sort of like (laughs) attacked them all at the same time and then disappeared. And maybe that was like a brief moment of like Chuck E. Cheese-ness, but like there is no analog for it in the actual lived world 
uh, pre-1920. And I think that says a lot about how stressful it is for a lot of people, especially like definitely stressful for me. So I get it. So what you have to do is you, you're going to pretend your kid's going to pretend to be interested in changing the oil for an hour. Uh, you're going to like try to teach them. They're not going to learn anything. And then the whole time they're going to be like, is it time yet? Is it time yet? Is it time yet? And you'll be like, no, we've got to finish this. And then when you finish it, then you have to take them to Chuck E. Cheese. It's a both and situation, not an either or situation. I mean, definitely like the idea that you would do either of these things without pizza is just ludicrous. Actually, the pizza at Chuck E. Cheese is pretty good. Yeah. So like, even if you like, you got to, you got to, even if you're changing the oil, you should do that while eating pizza in the company of a giant rodent. I don't know where you're going to get the giant rodent, but obviously that's a that's an important part of the childhood experience, so get one. Um, that's terrible advice from somebody who has a six-month-old. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's basically kind of like a giant rodent now. Your kid? Yeah, he's a very big... Nah, he's not as, like, actually, you know, skilled as a rodent... No, I would argue though that he's also much larger than any any living rodent. Well, that I mean, is like that is demonstrably untrue, John. There are many, many really? very large rodents. Please don't. I don't. I, actually, you know what? I have no desire what, whatsoever to learn about rodents that weigh more than ten pounds ever. Period. End of story. Let's move on to the next question. This question comes from Alyssa, who asks, "Dear John and Hank, this is more of a question for Hank, but if there is an earthquake on Mars, would it still be considered an earthquake?" Oh, so that comes to the question of whether we're calling uh, the ground of Mars Earth in the way that we call the yeah, ground of Earth. Yeah, which we already have Earth. discussed on a previous we episode of the pod. We've this. made we've made too many of these things. <laughs> so, but no, I think you would. I know for a fact that there are earthquakes on the Moon, and we call them moonquakes. So I imagine that earthquakes that take place on Mars are called Marsquakes. Boom. Okay. Done. It's over. All right. Man, we're going to get through all the questions. Uh, it seems unlikely. Okay, John, final question. Before we move on to the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, this question is from Ryan, an actual Ryan, who asks, Dear Hank and John, my name is Ryan. I have enrolled and will attend my state university in the fall, and a few of my friends from high school are also going. I plan to be roommates with my best friend, Ryan. <laughs> For- oh, my God. That's amazing. <laughs> I don't I don't know if I believe it. My question is, do you think I should try to maintain my circle of friends or start over and try to meet new people in college? Don't forget to be Ryan, Ryan. Uh, it's such a Ryan way to write an email too. He put five Ryans very in a Ryan-y. sentence email. I mean, um uh, yeah, I mean obviously if your best friend is named Ryan and you're going to be roommates like you're doing a pretty good job of figuring out who your friend should be. Yeah. Uh, you're crushing it on the Ryan front and I would say that you probably just want to keep going trying to meet as many Ryans as you can and make it into a thing. <laughs> like maybe you guys could form some kind of like a fraternity or social organization mm-hmm, mm-hmm, like that's Ryan specific. Ryan, yep. There's a lot of you guys. Uh I I will say like it can be easy to get sucked into and stick with the same, like, comfortable social group, even if, like, you are aware that you aren't seeing the full possibility or having the full range of uh, of human connection that you might be having at a college. And, uh, and that it is good to try and connect with people who are in the same program as you or in the same classes as you or into the same things as you. And... Uh, <clears throat> And, but managing that is hard. Managing like multiple friend groups and like having an established one and, and, then, and then sort of like how much time do I spend with my old friends versus my new friends. And that's like, it's a legit, it's a legit thing that you will struggle with. And I, I just say like know that it's a struggle, but it's worthwhile to do. Yeah, I didn't know anybody. There was one guy from my high school who went to my college and we, we stayed friends, but, uh, but it was only one guy. So it wasn't... Uh, wasn't your best friend, Ryan? It was not. No, it was not a Ryan. Uh, Hank, before we get to the news from Mars and Nancy Wimbledon, very quickly, I just want to read this amazing email from Jennifer, who writes, Dear John and Hank, after hearing the story of Emma and her dilemma, uh, that was a, a woman <laughs> whose name uh, is Emma, but with three M's because of a typographical error made by uh, a careless uh, county clerk somewhere, I needed to share. My brother is named Benjamin, not Benjamin. <laughs> Benjamin. As his big sister, I've often been asked why this is. Our mother had the flu uh, when she gave birth and our father was at work. (laughs) 
So uh, an <laughs> ill mother gave my brother his name, and he has never changed it. <laughs> Benjamin. Benjamin's actually a pretty cool name. It's much, I have to say, Benjamin is much better. It, that seems like particular and specific in a way that Emma just seems like a mistake. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. I've, I've, I remain on the side of keeping that third M because what else, what else do you have? You have presumably like the rest of your life. Uh, okay, Hank. <laughs> okay. First, first, let's get to the news from AFC yeah, Wimbledon okay. because it's extremely important. AFC Wimbledon, Hank. As I, you, you will remember the last time that we recorded a podcast together. AFC Wimbledon had not scored a goal in the month of April. And they had one game remaining against Oldham. Uh, and yep. it, it didn't matter from the perspective of staying up because they'd already secured enough points to stay up. Uh, all they need, but, but they did want to score a goal in April because otherwise it would have been impossible to have a best goal of April celebration on account of how there were no goals in April despite playing one, two, three, four, five, six games in April. Um, <laughs> but what happened instead of scoring a goal is a nil-nil draw. <laughs> AFC, AFC, <laughs> oh, God. AFC Wimbledon. That's super exciting, John. Complete the you month really, of April. You really worked it up. AFC Wimbledon complete the month of April goalless. Uh, a heroic and extremely rare feat for a football club uh, to play six games with no goals. Uh, that means that for the last, uh, I believe, 540 minutes of AFC Wimbledon season, no goals. But it doesn't matter. Uh, AFC Wimbledon staying up in League One. It's an incredible uh, accomplishment. They finished the season 15th in League One, just below middle of the table. A, a really uh, extraordinary accomplishment for a team with one of the smallest budgets in the league and uh, the smallest stadium in the league. So I am happy and excited and excited to move forward into the off season. We call this the silly season, Hank, because it's when all the trade rumors start happening and it's very, very exciting. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you listened to last week's podcast, but Mayim had a bunch of information on uh, some players that you were definitely losing, yeah. which hopefully will free up some uh, some capital for the acquisition of new folk. Yeah, yeah. No, I think the big one is the goalkeeper, James Shea, yeah. But uh, but it's... it's you know, what, uh, what was what was that about? Why you got why you getting rid of James Shea? Money. I think it's about... Was he too... Was he, too expensive or I, I I well I don't know I li- listen I really don't know and they didn't say um, but from everything that I've heard and he is a consummate professional and extremely well liked and um, and a really great guy and hopefully uh, will land on his feet somewhere it's like the nature of football though man it is really hard to stay at a team for a long time these days what's the news from Mars so you know how on the surface of Mars there's uh, a lot of radiation because it doesn't have a magnetic field to protect the surface from uh, the sun's sun's uh, harmful rays. Oh, yeah. Well, there are some places here on the surface of Earth that also have a lot of radiation. And, uh, and we are looking at those places to see how things manage to live there despite the tremendous, uh, not just despite, but, uh, but, but also have evolved to live uh, in places where it would be very difficult to live if you uh, didn't have some kind of protection from radiation. Those places being uh, former nuclear reactors that uh, went critical. So Chernobyl uh, and, uh, and the one in and, and Fukushima. Right. Which I almost forgot the name of. It's okay. So uh, Chernobyl and Fukushima are two places where you're like, life should stay away from that. But there are... <clears throat> There are some species that have evolved to be able to live there and seem to have some ha- have evolved some traits that make them resistant to radiation, particularly a fungus. So this is true of, of bigger of complex organisms like mice too. But uh, but this fungus it seems to even prefer to be around radiation, and we don't know if it prefers it or if it's just that the niche is open and so it moves on in because it's it's capable of dealing with it. But there was just a year long experiment on the ISS looking at this mold and uh, and some other and some other fungi. <clears throat> Sorry, I have a cold had a cold. I'm getting over it. So there was just an experiment on the International Space Station looking at a bunch of different molds that have evolved to do well in the presence of a lot of radiation. Uh, One, to see how they might function on the surface of Mars. Two, to see what kinds of adaptations uh, life on other planets that don't have a strong magnetic field might need to have. And three, to maybe uh, help get the powers of those molds either 
into people or helping people. And that might be in the form of like a long time from now, like genetic modification or in uh, creating some kind of like fungi based sunblock uh, to oh, wow. protect humans from uh, the the harmful effects of long-term exposure to radiation, which they would undergo both on the surface of Mars and on the way there and back. So you would so slather big... yourself in fungus to get ready for the your big Mars trip. Yeah, and the fungus would be like, awesome, hit me with that radiation, man. Wow. I mean, that makes me want to go to Mars. So one of the things that they're thinking about doing is uh, radiation-resistant genes, this is what the scientist said, can be incorporated into yeast cells that produce beer so that humans are willing to go to space. Uh, they will have better beer to drink that might even protect you from radiation. Well, actually, cancel. I'm back in. <laughs> All right, Hank, we have, yeah. to go, uh, we have to go record our, our, our bonus podcast this week in Ryan's. Uh, but... Uh, what did we learn today? Well, before we get to that, uh, oh, okay. I just want to say that if you want to subscribe to This Week in Ryan's, you can do so uh, by supporting this podcast. $5 a month. Uh, help us help us stay real sponsor free. Just kidding. We're desperately waiting for those real sponsors to come on board. Uh, but <laughs> you can, over at patreon.com slash Dear Hank and John, every week we talk about a Ryan. Hank, who's our Ryan this week? Uh, are are we do, are we ruining it? Are we ruining the surprise? Uh, no, it's not a ruin of the surprise because okay. the okay. listeners to this week sure. and Ryan actually get it slightly before they get Dear Hank and John. <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay. Well, the, this week's Ryan, I think John is going to be Ryana. It's brilliant, Hank. It's I mean, it's your greatest work. It's your magnum opus. It's your cobular.com. I mean, of this week in Ryan's. All right. What did we learn today? Well, of course, we learned that cobular.com is totally a thing that you can go to right now and totally uh, buy stuff on. We learned that you can eat a, a lot of tacos and still have a boyfriend with a six pack. Uh, and, of course, we learned that uh, you, you too, when you grow up, if you work hard and play your cards right and get a little lucky, might end up a celebrity. And finally, we learned that John really does not want to know about the existence of 200-pound rodents that live in South America. They're capybara, John. They're super cute. You should check them there out. There is not a 200-pound rodent on this earth, is there really? There's a bunch of them. Oh, good lord. Save me. Thanks for potting with me, Hank, and also for doing that thing that I specifically asked you not to do. <laughs> yeah, I'm a bad. This podcast is uh, edited by Nicholas Jenkins. It's produced by Rosiana Hall Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our social media manager is Victoria Bongiorno. Uh, our music is from The Great Gunnarola. You can email us at hankandjohn at gmail.com where we will answer your questions. John and I are also on Twitter at Hank Green and at John Green and other places on the internet. We are always excited to see you. If you'd like to support the podcast and also get This Week in Ryan's, which is our short Ryan-based podcast, you can do that at patreon.com slash dearhankandjohn. And as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to be awesome. awesome.